environmental exposures during childhood could affect their health later in life. So when the children get exposed to pollutants, some cells of their bodies or the organs of their bodies will not be grown optimally, especially the their way brain. I see climate litigation is that it's somewhat of a legal conversation. Like activists are using the law partly because it's an, it can be an effective tool, partly because they have no other choice, because they are not being heard by the parliaments and the legislature. We don't have enough judges who understand environmental concerns, but it's, this is probably something that they feel dear to their hearts. I mean, after all, they are Jakarta citizens, all these judges, and they feel it. And like I said, they feel it every day, I would say. Welcome back to the third episode of the podcast series, Clearing the Air. I'm Shermeng Lee. And I'm Koa Tran. Our team at Sustainable Asia partnered with the Heinrich Boll Foundation to produce this series. In our last episode, we talked with three plaintiffs of a landmark air pollution lawsuit in Jakarta, Indonesia. What you heard was a law expert named Jolene Lin, who told us that these climate litigation cases are often a way for environmental activists to strike a conversation with the government. Turns out that a similar lawsuit demanding better air pollution control from the government has also been filed in one of the largest cities in Pakistan, Lahore. Lahore has been dubbed the city of gardens in the past as botanical gardens are scattered all over town, but now experts say it's become the city of concrete. Hmm, I heard about that. But fast forward to 2022, Lahore's air quality has gotten so bad that it's become one of the worst in the world. Experts are calling its heavy smog a fifth season because from October onwards, Lahore is blanketed in smog for a few months each year. So in this episode, we travel to the city of Lahore, Pakistan, to look at its citizen movement against air pollution. We begin by talking to the mastermind behind Lahore's air pollution lawsuit, then look at an engineer's voluntary initiative to monitor air quality in Pakistan, and finally look at a Lahore women's group pledge to raise awareness among other parents for the sake of their children's health. And by the end, hopefully, we can understand more about the causes of air pollution in Lahore and offer a glimpse of what Pakistan citizens can do to improve their daily life. Well, Pakistani cities have been subject to poor air pollution for years and years and years. However, the city of Lahore experienced a smog event in 2016, about October, November 2016, which was a bit of an eye-opener because it repeated itself in 2017 as well. These two smog events led to all sorts of public awareness, people setting up their own private monitors, including myself in our house, and broadcasting information about air quality to a public that generally didn't know how bad the air pollution was. That was Rafay Alam speaking. He is a prominent environmental lawyer and activist based in Lahore. When we talked to him recently, he said he initially held out hope that the government's action plan would clear the air, but it didn't. 
This then uh, brought the news into the media. It was widely reported both in the local press and in the international press. And that then brought a certain amount of government attention to the subject as well. Schools are closed in the Pakistani city of Lahore today after heavy smog descended on Pakistan's second most popular city. Reading on the air quality index soared to 500 earlier into the hazardous range and is now around the smog 150 mark. Smog is engulfing the Pakistani city of Lahore, which lies along the Indian border. It's the most polluted city in the world, according to an air quality monitor. Lahore took the top spot just two days ago, but has consistently been ranked among one of the world's most polluted cities. And we saw the creation of a Punjab smog policy, an action plan, and all sorts of public sector interventions that we hoped would make some difference when it came to air pollution. But come to 2018, and especially 2019, when the air pollution and smog issues weren't subsiding, that we realized that one of the things the Environment Protection Agency had done when it was setting up its smog and climate action, uh, air pollution uh, action plans was to readjust air quality figures and their impacts on health. Air quality index values, or AQI, at or below 100 were generally thought of as satisfactory. So what did the Pakistan government do to improve air quality? Well, they decided to launch their own scale that said 100 to 200 is still satisfactory. So they'd done this, which was underreporting the severity of the air pollution, which we felt was the violation of the fundamental right to a clean and healthy environment and also to have clean air. is now home to over 11 million people and has been consistently ranked amongst the cities with the worst air pollution in the world. So why is Pakistan's bad air so important to people both inside and outside the country? Rafael, the lawyer and activist, said it's the epicenter of what he calls a global apocalypse. And that I find startling and, and fr frankly quite quite scary because air pollution is a serious killer in Asia. There is an IPCC verified study that says that the amount of greenhouse gases it would take to get from one and a half to two degrees centigrade, I mean you have to produce a lot of greenhouse gases, would result in air pollution, obviously, that would account for about 150 million deaths. Now think, between 1.5 and 2 degrees, there's 150 million deaths caused by air pollution associated with greenhouse gases. It's four times the number of soldiers who died in World War I and World War II put together. And we're going to go through two degrees of, of global warming by the middle of this century. Most of those deaths are going to take place in Asian and African cities on account of the air pollution rising from the transport and energy sectors there. The IPCC report that Rafay referred to is the International Panel on Climate Change, a network of scientists tasked by the United Nations to research the impacts of climate change. That report links worsening air pollution with the build-up of greenhouse gases. Similar to Bangkok and Jakarta, coal-fired heating, diesel-based transportation and crop burning in megacities like Lahore release huge amounts of greenhouse gases that trap heat in the atmosphere, accelerating climate change. 
For Lahore residents, it's like living in a smoke-filled enclosed room, breathing toxic particulates on a daily basis. So we are in the epicenter of a global apocalypse. It's a catastrophe. Lahore and Delhi are the epicenter where not hundreds, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, not millions, tens of millions of people are going to die. And when I see the state of Pakistan incapable of understanding what the problem is, because the state of Pakistan can do many things. It can arrest people, it can chase you for tax, you know, it can give you a certain amount of health care. And the city that I live in, when I say at risk, let me manifest it for you. Uh, there was a study done by the University of Chicago Life Quality Index uh, report, which says that the city of Lahore, the people in the city of Lahore lose about 5.8 years of their life. Uh, because of air pollution. So nearly six years of life expectancy is being cut out of people's life on account of the air pollution that we have in the city. The severe air pollution in Lahore prompted Leila, Rafay's daughter, who was 13 years old at the time, to team up with two classmates to take the matter to court in 2019. They wanted better air pollution policies. Rafay supported the trio and in the end, decided to legally represent them. So I was involved with Leila and some of the sort of younger colleague friends who were all school-going children to go to court and to report and to complain uh, to the Lahore High Court that their fundamental rights were being violated by this underreporting of air pollution. Leila herself is also a climate activist who has a YouTube channel. Rafay said the teenage girl, like many young climate activists, had had enough with the talks and wanted more actions from stakeholders. Well, we all have to be climate activists because the climate crisis is quite severe. It's affected everyone, not just my daughter. Uh, during the smog season, uh, there's no going outdoors. You have to wear a mask. I mean, going to school sometimes, you have to understand, in 2019 and in 20, we've had schools shut down because the air pollution has been so bad. Rafay and his daughter's efforts, however, seem to have fallen on deaf ears in Pakistan. Instead of working together to solve the urgent issue, Pakistani officials did not seem to think the air pollution in Lahore was serious. They told the court in another case that people consuming too much barbecued food in the city was to be blamed and suggested limiting restaurant operating times as a solution. Some officials also denied the smog in Lahore exists, and the government has now even banned citizens from using their own air pollution monitors. I'm flat out of ideas. They're not listening. Because last year, the senior advisor, the, special, the prime minister's special advisor on climate change said that air pollution is, in Pakistan is caused by Indian farmers burning crops which is patently untrue because crop burning only takes place two times a year for about a week or 10 days. The Prime Minister's special advisor on science and technology blamed the previous government for its development policies and said that that was to blame for air pollution. The Punjab Environment Minister denied it was smog and then actually sought the police to chase after people who were misinforming the public with these private air pollution monitors. So what scares me is the fact that despite the fact we've been campaigning consistently on this issue, the stakeholders in this game are not on the same page. We're getting disparate sort of understandings about what the issue is and where the problems are. Cloaked in thick smog, Lahore is one of the world's most polluted cities, according to an international monitoring organization. Residents say they're choking on toxic air. So if the government changed the air quality threshold, denied that air pollution exists, and even blamed the smog on other countries, 
How can Pakistanis know how dirty the air is? Citizen engineer Abid Omar seeks to fill in the gap. He set up the Pakistan Air Quality Initiative and has been pumping out real-time data every day for the past few years. Abid's campaign is among those the government wants to shut down. So the, the government essentially declared that any data source、uh, for air pollution in Pakistan is against our cyber laws, and、uh, cons- they considered it a crime. So、uh, obviously they were targeting. The low-cost data sensors that were being put out by the Pakistan Air Quality Initiative and its community members, and in fact,、uh, they even went to a couple of the locations、um, and you know asked the people that you know stop、uh, because so some of the monitors are done by、uh, some corporates, so they have the names on it.、Uh, however, they did not take any like、um, criminal action yet because I think it's questionable if it is against any law to put out this kind of data. Because we're not declaring this to be official data, we're just putting out data for our own、uh, knowledge and awareness. And、uh, because of lack of trust in the data being put by, out by the government, we do want to know what the air pollution is like. And there's enough citizens across Pakistan who are interested in taking steps to protect their own health. Abid told us that the government's air quality data has been outdated and is unreliable. A realization that shook him and prompted him to take things into his own hands. I used to live in Beijing, China, where、uh, I got interested in air pollution because back in 2012 and 13, Beijing、um, hit the charts. I used to think,、um, what about back in my home country in Pakistan? And、I just went on the internet and looked up、uh, Pakistan air quality, and、uh, literally nothing came up, except、uh, the World Bank、uh, every two years releases their ambient air quality database, which is、uh, which puts together air pollution levels for a lot of the major cities of the world. And he didn't like what he found. There's a couple of thousand cities in that list. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that some of Pakistani cities were included in the World Health Organization database. And according to their data, Pakistani cities were amongst the most polluted cities in the world. So I could have just ended my、uh, search over there. But then, when I looked a bit deeper, I realized that even though this database was published recently. Um, the data it's referring to for Pakistan was outdated. So, how old was the data when you did this research in 2017? For example, for Karachi, the data was for from 2008. For Lahore, it was from 2011. And、uh, similarly, there was Peshawar with also outdated data. And the reason for that was that the government in Pakistan back then did not provide any air quality data. Um, um, we did not monitor air pollution over here,、uh, even though it's mandated by law, by our environmental regulations, that you have to monitor ambient air quality, as it is done、um, in、uh, much of the world, and also publish that information to be available to citizens so that they can see what the pollution levels are like, and you know, see if they have to take、uh, precautions or. If it、uh, goes above safe limits,、uh, what steps to take? Pakistan's Lahore city has been declared the most polluted in the world by an air quality monitor, as citizens continue to breathe in toxic smog since the last couple of days. According to the Swiss monitoring platform IQAir, 
Lahore had an air quality ranking of 348, well over the hazardous level of 300. Even though I'm from Karachi, I travel very often to Lahore, at least uh, once, if not twice a year. Uh, I had uh, grandparents who lived in Lahore. So we used to go there when I was younger. I did not recall there being a major fog issue. Recently, it had become so bad that uh, flights wouldn't be able to land. Uh, there would be accidents on the road, like the visibility levels would go down to practically nothing. You couldn't see more than a couple of meters ahead of you. And I was like, this never happened uh, um, back from when I remember in the 80s and 90s. So what's going on in Lahore? Abit took the initiative to start bringing low-cost air quality monitors from China to Lahore. But he soon realized that air monitoring was not a one-time event. It has to be a consistent process over time, and it also requires many different locations in a city to generate accurate data. So I started talking to people, um, environmentalists and um, so, so social activists. I was like, you know, I need to find people who are interested enough about uh, not just the environment, but about air pollution, so they can host these monitors and also look at the data and talk about it and, you know, like um, uh, make this like one of the causes that they want to work on. We eventually have about uh, 50 monitors all across Pakistan and which I learned recently is amongst the largest uh, uh, low-cost sensor deployments in the world. The discrepancy between the outdated government data and that from Abit's monitors in 2017 was huge. Lahore was said to have an air quality index of 68, which seems to be slightly over the 50 threshold according to government data. But Abit's data showed that that number should be 130. So we now have those numbers for four cities, and they use reference standard equipment, so which is very great because we, we never had a baseline. Like, while we had our monitors and we knew that what these numbers are, there was always this uncertainty that I personally had because I was, you need to um, uh, validate your data against a reference standard monitor. And that validation has also be, to be done on, um, on the ground of the, the area of the city where you want the data for. Abyss data set isn't the only one that contradicts with the government's own data. In 2019, the U.S. government launched a campaign named Air Now that puts air monitors in U.S. consulates and offices in different cities around the world, including Lahore. So in, in all these places, you need to just make sure that your, the data coming out from your monitors is correct. So when the U.S. consulate put up their monitors, um, we actually compared the data from our low-cost network, and um, I was happy to see that we're in the same ballpark figures. Accurate data points us towards the source of the pollution, Rafay told us. Such data can be important evidence in an air pollution litigation case for judges and jury to understand the gravity of the issue. You need to have air pollution monitors that run 24-7. And when we figure out where the pollution is coming from, we know what to do. You need to know what the pollution is before you can do anything about it. 
right? It's, it's not fair to say air pollution is caused by brick kilns and then arrest all the brick kiln owners in Punjab only to find out that air pollution actually comes from the, some of the filthiest petrol available in the world, uh, in our cars and in our tractors. So you have to know where the pollution is coming from in order to have any sort of successful policy action or response to it. Rafay said, dirty fuel is a big reason for Lahore's sky-high AQI index. Broadly speaking, the fuel that Pakistan imports into the country for our transport needs, the diesel and the, the, the petrol, is not even Euro 2. It's some of the filthiest petrol on the face of the earth. We need to upgrade not just our refineries, but our fuel imports and make sure that those upgrades are mandatory across Pakistan. That will take or get rid of nearly half of the problem. And the other half? Our energy regulator has notified that renewable electricity in Pakistan, that's solar and wind, is cheaper than all other types of electricity, including hydro and even coal. We know that renewables are, are environmentally friendly, but now we know they're also financially more sensible. And so it's inexplicable, therefore, that Pakistan continues to sign long-term fossil fuel-based contracts, energy contracts with international concerns, when renewable energies really are cheaper and much more readily available. It is surprising to me, the government of Pakistan subsidized petrol costs and put a 17% sales tax on solar panels, which is exactly the opposite of what you need to do in order to not just combat climate change, but also address air pollution issues. And Abyss says it's not just a poor quality fuel used in Pakistan. Pakistan wants to boost its renewable energy production from 5 to 30 percent in the next eight years. That requires a $32 billion investment. But with the economy struggling and negligible foreign investment, achieving the government's 2030 goal won't be easy. There's no checks on emissions of cars. Commercial vehicles are supposed to get uh, what's called a fitness certificate, which is a, a test of emissions and, and other things. So, you know, when you're driving around here, you will always see diesel vehicles like trucks and buses just spewing out black smoke because engines are not maintained well enough, because the fuel available is not clean enough, because the, the checks and balances don't exist to ensure uh, that emissions are met. And and this same thing extends to industrial emissions. If you're running a, a factory and, and you, there, there's a power generation happening in the factory or there's other emissions, there's no controls, there's no check. The environmental is over here are only acting to, say, certify you, but they don't actually check anything. So that, that is one of the reasons that the emissions are out of control over here. Women in Pakistan have also decided to take things into their own hands. Ayesha Nasir is a mother of five and leads a women's movement in Lahore against air pollution. She owns a popular block called Scary Yemi that has become a support group for mothers in Pakistan. Assalamu alaikum everybody, my name is Aisha Nasir and my startup is called Scary Ammi which is the world's first platform for Desi Ammis. By Desi, I mean Pakistani Ammis. In just nine months, we have been able to reach and gain... I think women's role is really huge when it comes to um, air pollution because in one way, they're like the most affected party. So they are the victims. And the other way, they're the natural advocates since you know, they see their children affected like so badly on a daily basis. 
So I feel like they're naturally advocates because when you see it happening to your child, you obviously want to want to fix it. Ayesha, like the plaintiffs in Jakarta's air pollution lawsuit, is worried about the negative health impacts on her children. As a mother, she said there are many things they can do. One of the most effective ways of improving the AQI is getting the cars off the road. So when it comes to carpooling, it's very much a women, a mother-led initiative because in Pakistan, parenting is pretty much a mother, you know, a mother-led initiative. Like that's how parenting is done. In such circumstances, mothers can bring about change if they're if they believe that it's happening. So. It's the mom who's going to put the mask on the child or hand the mask to the child. Aisha recognized the severity of the problem very soon, since she was a medical doctor and journalist before. She decided to call on other mothers who are also worried about the children's health to act together. I wanted to create a platform where educated about the impact, because you can only become an advocate when you are aware. You can't really become an advocate if you don't understand the issue. So there was, I mean, while there are a couple of climate action initiatives that take place in Pakistan, none of them are targeting the moms. They're mainly targeting other climate action activists. So I felt that since the most affected are the moms, because they're the ones dealing with these sick children, they're the ones dealing with, you know, children having headaches, I would see the physical impact on my child. And it was so upsetting because he was like two or three. And, you know, at that age, you want to play outside it's almost impossible to get you to wear a mask like all that was happening i didn't know what to do because there was basically nothing being done and there was basically no movement like nobody was talking to the schools nobody was advocating for children there was just nothing that was being done except for policy discussions so i wanted to kind of activate and galvanize the army of moms we have since they were the ones who were kind of on the front lines, like dealing with it on a daily basis. Ayesha's campaign started with spreading awareness to mothers. So the first part was information, right? So we galvanized a lot of schools. We did like more than a hundred sessions, just trying to get like moms aware and like riled up and involved. So because of all this, we were able to get moms to take like little steps so it began with simply putting a mask on right like making sure your child is drinking enough water maybe putting like sunglasses like protective eyeglasses on once we had like taken these steps then we began talking to the school administration and putting pressure on them to like stop outdoor activities to not send their kids out and that was something that we also got the moms involved in then we really began pushing for let's say no to you know a car that's coming all the way to just drop one child and it was a lot of explanation because you know in pakistan obviously the security angle is huge so most people don't want to send their kids in a carpool because they're so worried about security and along with carpools we really began pushing for buses and you know how can we make buses safe and how can like um, school drop-offs be done in the sense that you know from the same street like kids can go together like all those points. Aisha said it took a while to convince the mothers to consider letting their children take buses. She told us that carpooling is a foreign concept in Pakistan. Because it really goes against the traditional way people have always done things, which is 
drop their kids to schools themselves. And like literally, for example, on the street I live on, four cars go to the same school. So that definitely is something that we need to look at is how horrible the AQI gets affected when we have these thousands and thousands of cars like on the road at one time and just mainly standing there because of traffic. So it was fantastic to see all these people kind of, you know, becoming advocates. So it's not just about getting the clean buses on the road. It's also making sure they're safe, making sure there are chaperons, like, you know, people would be okay sending their kids. In November last year, Lahore's AQI index reached 348 at one point, way over the hazardous level in WHO standards. Citizens and even judges urged authorities to shut schools for a period of time to keep children safe, but officials were criticized for acting slow, blaming India and unofficial figures. But at the end of that month, authorities finally bowed to pressure and announced that offices and schools would be closed three days a week from November to January. It was the mothers' voices that helped uh, shut down schools during the smog season. And, and it's an unfortunate trade-off, right? Like You're not talking about shutting down schools for a couple of days. You're talking about shutting down schools for a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and that has an impact on the education of uh, children. However, the trade-off is that, you know, what would you rather have is less exposure to these hazardous levels of air pollution. So, yeah, something along those lines. The winter is when smog is really bad in Pakistan. We're advocating for like a month-long winter vacations and a shorter summer. But like, again, this was like in the talks because obviously summers in Pakistan are really, really hot. So weather and most, a lot of schools are not air conditions. Ayesha said mothers should be involved more in fighting air pollution, which, as we said earlier, will get worse with climate change. I feel that as, you know, as a strategy, climate action needs to involve more grassroots involvement, needs to engage a lot more parents. Because, you know, we talk about how today's generation and tomorrow's future is going to be the worst affected. I think that when we talk about advocacy, we tend to always preach to the choir. So a lot of advocacy efforts and, you know, being about talking to other advocates, like in climate change, right? Like climate change activists would do conferences and invite other climate change activists. Or they would talk to, you know, organizations which are already committed. When it comes to advocacy, people don't realize that, don't realize the power of the mother in really putting those thoughts and ideas into sustainable action. And like that is the complete ethos behind Scary Ami, that when you convert mothers into advocates is when you get to see real change. You have to recognize that every other person in this world has humanity and deserves to be treated like a human being. And that's what's going to keep us together going forward. At the end of the day, a citizen's movement against air pollution will be more effective with the government's help. They do not believe us, we do not believe them, and we've never really been able to, to bring those parties back together again and see eye to eye. Um, you know, had to go to court for this. I've been trying to argue at the council level for this as well. You can contrast this with uh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, which is another province uh, 
the capital of which is Peshawar, the EPA of Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, who are, although we've not done any protests, very welcome to ideas and suggestions that civil society give them. And so this is also very instructive to how civil society should approach regulators and perhaps government. And that it's not necessarily always, you know, your first sort of instrument or, or weapon shouldn't be the protest. It should try and be positive engagement, uh, building confidence, because people genuinely want solutions to problems. This to me is very inspiring. Despite their belief that they are choking in Lahore's smog and that the government is ignoring the problem, the people of Lahore are still trying to use positive engagement with the government to solve the air pollution crisis there. Hmm. And there is a lot of civic action in Lahore. Ayesha creating carpools and organizing the moms, and a bit creating new data monitoring systems to counter government data, and Rafay supporting his daughter in a lawsuit to compel the government to clean up the air. Yeah, because the government isn't taking action, the citizens maybe feel compelled to do more on their own initiative, similar to what we reported in Jakarta and Bangkok. Mm, that's right, Koa. It's interesting how important clean air is to quality of life, and yet can be ignored by governments who sacrifice clean air often for the sake of economic growth. And time is ticking to make the investment needed to mitigate the disasters that could be associated with climate change. Well, Pakistani government falsely blamed Lahore's smog on New Delhi, and lots of people fell for it, because we know air pollution moves with transboundary winds. So now we know about Lahore, I wonder what makes New Delhi's air so dirty, and what are citizens over there doing about it? Stay tuned to our next episode to find out. Hey, Sustainable Asia listeners, I'm Marcy Trent Long, and I'm the executive producer of Sustainable Asia. Your hosts for this episode were Koa Tran and Charmaine Lee. The producer of the episode was Charmaine Lee, sound engineer Zoe Law, and Jack Lee was the associate producer. A big thank you to our guests, Rafai Alam, Abid Omar, and Aisha Nasir. We couldn't have made this podcast series without the support of the Heinrich Boll Foundation, a green think tank from Germany with more than 30 offices around the world. We enjoyed working with the Bangkok, New Delhi and Hong Kong offices on this series. Check out the Heinrich Boll Foundation website links in our show notes to learn more about their insightful and thoughtful work across the Asia region. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. Thanks for listening. On to the next episode.